Rumor is Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are still missing shots, and Giannis is still putting the team on his back in the third quarter, but still just wasn't enough. My God. The Milwaukee Bucks fall in Game 2 of the NBA Finals to the Phoenix Suns, 118-108. to Giannis Adendakumbo, the Greek freak, just nine days after a hyper extending his knee, puts the Bucks on his back as he's done something that hasn't really been done since Michael Jordan in 1993. As Jordan scored, I think it was 22 or 23 points in one quarter. Giannis scores 20. The other guys that do it be 19 points each, one for LeBron James, one for Kobe Bryant. Giannis Adendakumbo in the company of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. He's besting the two. MJ still has it, but it wasn't enough. Giannis' 42 points, the playoff career high, wasn't enough. As again, the Bucks lose Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. I'm looking squarely at you. 12 for 37 from the field and combined for 28 points. Chris Middleton had 11 points, his fewest in a playoff game since the first round of the 2020 postseason. Phoenix was 15 points better than the Bucks when Middleton was on the floor. Drew Holiday is now shooting 31.4% through the first two games of the NBA Finals. That's not good. Good morning, Rowdy. Morning. (laughs) So Giannis pretty much has done in the first two games of the NBA Finals everything that Giannis basically can do. And more. He's he's basically gotten to the hoop, scored some buckets, struggled shooting free throws, but he's rebounded the basketball well. He's played good defense, and obviously he's out there hustling. He's out there giving it his all. Giannis was one for five shooting three. He also struggled shooting free throws 11 for 18. That being said, we know that Giannis cannot make free throws, and we know that he cannot make three-point baskets. Correct. You know who is worse than Giannis's one for five shooting three-pointers? Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton's one for six. Chris Middleton, whose skill set is shooting three-pointers. He's an Olympian, Rowdy. He's going to be playing for Team USA as well as Drew Holiday. Giannis Adenakumbo did things that Michael Jordan, I'm sorry, did things that Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, uh, he bested them and uh, almost bested Michael Jordan in an NBA Finals game. Bucks lose. His uh, his teammates definitely aren't Scottie Pippins or, you know, insert whoever else was there with uh, LeBron and, and Kobe when they did those things. Giannis Dendekumbo looks like he's playing with bums, Rowdy. Bums. Well, that's what he's played with in the first two games of the series. Bums. You see Giannis, uh, what was in the second quarter, right before the third, or right before halftime, Giannis doing that little impassionate speech on the sideline to his teammates. I don't think they listened to a word he said. I think Giannis was just out there, fired himself up. That third quarter from Giannis was absolutely incredible. I really don't think that the Milwaukee Bucks can play much better than they have without Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday taking their heads out of their asses. Like, I really don't think they can do anything else. I agree. It's 110%. Like, these guys need to... I don't know if Giannis needs to start slapping them around, maybe throw a cold bucket of water on them. Uh, I don't know what. Maybe start being mean. I have no idea. And they always say that role players play better at home. Obviously, the first two games were in Phoenix. Yeah. I think that... The role players, for the most part, outside of uh, Holiday and Middleton, actually have played all right, in, and that was on the road. Yeah, um, I mean, PJ Tucker, for the most part, has played pretty decent defense and has scored when he's taken shots. Yeah, I mean, he's doing his job. Brook Lopez, I mean, it's not like he looks like the Brook Lopez from when he had the good matchup in Brooklyn. 
but it's not like he's played god awful. Yeah, I think Pat Connaughton's played quite well. He's been well playing out of his mind, especially a guy coming off the bench. No doubt about that. It's literally just two guys: Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and it's your number two and your number three. Well, they both just look like number two, and and not in a good sense. Yeah, not like a Pippin to Jordan. It's like a uh, something you'd uh, look at in your toilet. Like bowl. your uh, bowel movement. Yeah, bowel movement. Yeah, L- like crap. Chris Middleton's plus minus was minus 15. That means, again, when he's on the court, uh, the Suns are 15 points better than the Bucks when Chris Middleton is out there. Chris Middleton, what are you doing? And here's the thing. Chris Middleton played the most out of any Milwaukee Buck, Rowdy. Uh, second most of any player on the court. Uh, DeAndre Ayton had 42 minutes for all players. Chris Paul, I'm sorry, third, because Booker had 44. By the way, Devin Booker, oh, my God. With well, the could that guy, is that guy ever going to miss a three-pointer? That dude was hitting from everywhere. Now, I know he's wide open for a lot of them because I know Brooke Lopez after game one was talking about how they got to do a lot better uh, on, uh, you know, the pick and rolls and recovery defense. But, my God, how many times was Devin Booker, there's a lot of times it was hand in his face, but how many times was Devin Booker wide open and just drilling three-pointers rowdy? There was one cent, I think it was in the fourth, early in the fourth quarter, when the Bucks got it to six or seven points, and there was, um, I think the Suns missed a three-pointer, got an offensive rebound, missed another three-pointer, got an offensive rebound, and I think they dished it out to Chris Paul in the corner, who uh, or it was Devin Booker, who drilled it for a three-pointer. And then there was, an, there was a boom, boom, boom series where all of a sudden it was a six-point game, and then the Bucks were looking at an 11-point deficit. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? It was like miss, miss, find Chris Paul in the corner, hit like early in the fourth quarter when the Bucks were making a little run. You mean like... You almost summed up like every single possession that frustrated <laughs> Bucks fans, where yeah, it seemed much. like there was a 50-50 rebound they never got. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, one eighteen to one hundred eight, the loss. Here's the thing, though: the Milwaukee Bucks. Now I, I know it's different, but the Milwaukee Bucks fell down in an O two deficit to the Brooklyn Nets earlier in this NBA playoffs. The difference is, the Brooklyn Nets were without eventually. Uh, well, James Harden did come back, but James Harden and then Kyrie Irving, they literally just relied on Kevin Durant. The Phoenix Suns, they got guys that um, are obviously are not injured. I'm not wishing injury on anyone. A little different series here. Devin Booker, balling. Chris Paul, balling. Uh, Bridges, that dude had a nice little game for himself as well. Uh, and um, it's just this Suns team, dude, this Suns team, it's a good team. I, uh, the oh, By the way, Rowdy, you like this? I've seen the over, the over is hit uh, six. The over six and zero oh, uh, for the past couple seasons for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. I think it's the past two. The over is hit six and zero oh now, but um, I don't know. I don't know. What do you, what's your vibe on the Bucks as they go home to the Pfizer four months? Oh, no, I don't obviously have a very good feeling down zero oh, two. And there is that. Um, isn't there a statistic where the Milwaukee Bucks absolutely struggle out west when they play Denver, Utah, and Phoenix? Yeah. Well, they're going to have to win a road game at least once or else they're not going to win the series. Yeah, I am I am a little I thought the series was going to go 6, probably 7. So that means the Bucks are we're going to lose some games. And here's the thing, when we were freaking out about the Brooklyn Nets, uh, when the Bucks were down in that 0-2 hole, what, what what was it in game 2? Didn't the Bucks get their asses handed to them by 39 points against the Brooklyn Nets in game 2 on the road? Wasn't that game 2 when they got 39 point loss? They got absolutely smoked. Yeah, I think that was game. T- that was game two, and we were like wanting to fire everyone. 
Budenholzer, we were ready to just just go up there and like throttle him, strong arm him out the door, you know, pack his bags and kick him out on the street. We're gonna trade Chris Middleton, you know, during the end or the the uh, that round of the playoffs, and then the Bucks eventually came back and obviously won the series. But this this man, this is the NBA Finals, you know, this is. Uh, but I think you could see you could see potential matchups where the Bucks had opportunities to be better against the Brooklyn Nets. Like we kept talking about going inside, making shots, certain stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not really seeing that against the Suns. I'm I mean, seeing the, I'm seeing a team that is just right now through two games clearly better than the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's, it kind of comes down to that. The Phoenix Suns are absolutely balling. I I I thought I, after game one though I said to myself, "There's no way they can hit all those threes again." And then what do they do last night? They shoot fifty percent from three point land. They were twenty for forty. They were hitting threes. Obviously, there were some wide open ones. But Devin Booker. You know, Chris Paul, these guys were hitting threes. You know, you know I know Bridges hit a couple. Uh, these guys were hitting threes, though, that you're just like, my God, hand in their face. It was crazy, some of the stuff they were hitting. Well, that's the thing, especially being NBA players. You you can watch them in warm-ups, and they, like, don't ever miss. Yes, yeah, it's automatic. Well, in the games, when they're open, I really don't expect them to miss, especially when they're good players like Dev- the Devin Bookers of the world. Mm-hmm. But it was more or less when they had good tight defense and hands and faces, those guys were still draining them. Because there are a lot of times where we'll say, for example, PJ Tucker was right in Devin Booker. Yeah. His face right there. And he pulls up for a jump shot and it's still nothing but net. Yeah, he was. I said to myself after game one, there's no way they can keep hitting those three pointers. They did just that again. I'm actually kind of surprised that the Bucks have lost. For NBA, relatively closer competitive games, the first two in Phoenix, especially with how trash Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday have played and how well Phoenix, for the most part, has shot the basketball. Yeah, I just there's two things I keep telling myself. There's no way the Suns can keep hitting those three pointers and there's no way that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday can continue to be this bad. Well, and that was after game one. Well, what happened last night? I think Chris Middleton was got worse. Drew Holiday got worse. I've never seen a professional basketball player like Drew Holiday miss so many layups. Um, Chris Middleton missed so many three-pointers. That's part of his game. Uh, it was Well, how about Chris Middleton not getting to the line again? Yeah, what was he? Uh, one or Yeah, zero. Yeah, nothing. That's insane. He shot uh, 16 times. Still not on the line at all. Brooke Lopez didn't get to the line, but uh, he gave he got a lot of other people to the line for the Phoenix Suns. Every time Lopez was on the court, my God, they would call him for a follow immediately. But um, Giannis Antetokounmpo had such a special performance. That third quarter was insane. It's just a travesty that his teammates, his two and his three, can't help the cause out whatsoever. You know, Pat Connaughton, he was balling off the bench. Uh, I was wondering why the hell Jeff Teague is starting the fourth quarter. But, you know, he looked not terrible, I guess. I don't know. I thought. Um, I mean, I would prefer if he was on the bench. Anytime I feel like <laughs> Jeff Teague was out there, Chris Paul had his way. Did whatever he wanted. I prefer Jeff Teague on the bench. Um, but my God, there's so many things from last night that you just scratch your head at. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. How about uh, Brim Brim Forbes? 
Where has he went since that Miami series? I don't know if he missed a three in that Miami series, or at least it felt like he never missed a three. <laughs> right. And I felt like he really has hardly made a three since then. It's uh, one for three last night for three points in six minutes of action. Yeah, Pat, I mean, Chris, dude, speaking of missing threes, Chris Middleton was throwing up these just brick cities, dude. It was like, what are you doing? Stop. Well, I mean, you talked about how they combined to go 12 of 37 shooting the basketball. That's Holiday and Middleton. And from three, they combined to go two of nine. Giannis's three-point percentage was better than Chris Middleton's three-point percentage. They shot the basketball 32%. I mean, they shot the basketball 22% from three to combined. And they shot free throws at 66% combined. That's horrible. It's It's terrible. It's awful. And I know I said this when they started that Hawk series and it was one to one and we were talking about how they had the much better talent. They had uh, the better team and they were still losing games to the Hawks. Yeah. And it was like, okay, they have to get past the Atlanta Hawk at the Hawks, because if they don't, what makes you believe that this team could ever win an NBA championship? I think this, the same thing could be said about potentially blowing up this nucleus if they can't even be competitive or win a couple of games against the Suns, because yeah, you not, can't, you can't have your number two disappear every no, single it's, game. It's it's Chris Middleton is such an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Like we can t- we can count on t- probably two hands in these playoffs on how bad he's been. You might have a couple fingers for how good he's been. I honestly think you know for how good he's been. It was uh, what it was uh, against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, one against the, I, you can honestly say Chris Middleton was uh, what took over per se in what two games, to, three games maybe. It's two come to mind for me, and that's uh, about it. Two only come to mind for me as well. The, a lot of him disappearing come to my mind. Uh, Drew Holiday also is just, I don't know. We we, we have some time to talk about it today. Uh, I'm not freaking out per se like I was against the Brooklyn Nets because in game two. Now I know it's a different team and, and the matchup is different. Bucks in game two got blown up by 39 points. Bucks in game two last night, you know, lose by 10 points. Giannis Adenakumbo has a game for the ages, and his teammates around him, the starting, you know, the starters, i.e., Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, were just awful. Oh, life has been good, hasn't it? Unless uh, you watched the Bucks last night. Or, unfortunately, if you're this cat right here who had the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, no. Dave Essler, our gambler to the stars. Dapper Dave, good morning. Um, it's not really good, but it is morning. <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, you had tweeted out uh, to me last night, you know, as you say, and you'll take uh, Tyler Mail on the mound against the Milwaukee Brewers because the Reds really hit Adrian Hauser well. And I said, Dave, you know what? We're going to circle back to this just for you, Dave. So, Dave, you had your chances with your bet last night with Mail and the Reds. What were the bases loaded, Rowdy? Three times for the Reds? Three times. Dave, Dave, tell me, what was going on through your mind when that was happening? Well, nothing. I, I think you didn't read the fine print in that tweet. I meant first five innings. Oh. <laughs> Which, <laughs> there you go. So you cashed then, yes? No. <laughs> uh, Dave, what's going on today, man? How you been? Um, well, last night was a rough night because... Not only did your Brewers 
put it to me, but your Bucks did too. Mm. Well, Dave, I'm looking at uh, pregame.com where all your beautiful work is at. I suggest everyone go and find, uh, find it. Uh, you're doing sixty, what, doing sixty three percent in the NBA playoffs? I think that's pretty good, my man. Well, I do too, but I think the thirty seven percent of the losses were bet on the Bucks. Now, Dave, what's <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Bucks coming up here. What's uh, what's a good mark for you or just professional gamblers out there? Like, what's the mark you guys strive for? Obviously, 100, percent but that's not realistic. What's the mark um, you strive you, for? You need to, you need to win. You know, playing minus 110, which obviously baseball isn't, but at playing minus 110, you need to win 52.4 percent to break even. Um, sounds easy. It's not. Yeah. Um, for example, you get into baseball and you start getting into some of these high juices. Um, the, if you're playing like minus 170, you need to win 63% to break even. So, you know, that should tell you that it's, it's not easy. Dave, shame, shame on me for this. I always love to get to know, um, uh, you know, our guests like right away. I'm like, yeah, where you come from? How'd you get into what you're doing? I don't think I've ever asked you this. How did you get into professional gambling? I'm very curious. Um, I don't know. If we you want to share. We only have 10 minutes, so. <laughs> Dave, I'll do 12 just for you. No, I don't know. It's. I mean, you know, it's just matriculated over time. You know, you start out when you're when you're Rowdy's age, and you kind of do it recreationally, and then you do pretty well, and then you see all these other people making these grandiose claims that you know are kind of BS, and, <laughs> and you know, it, it it becomes pretty much self-taught. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I think one thing that I'm I'm a big sort of proponent of. I mean, you guys are on Twitter, and you see all these people making claims that are that are pretty ridiculous that I think everybody that does sort of bet professionally or win over time, actually the people that win over time, those are people you don't ever hear from. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, you just get smarter. I mean, I think, I think we all, people that, people that, you know, bet to make a living, made all the same mistakes growing up, if you will, growing up not necessarily being an age thing, but getting to a point where you have a reasonable feel of what you're doing. You know, you, they say you learn from your mistakes, and, and I think you do. And I, I tell a lot of people that, that think I'm, I sort of walk on water or something sometimes because I, cause I am who I am or whatever. And I tell them, look, dude, I put my shoes on the same way you do one at a time. I think the big, you know, and I know yeah, a lot your, of people, Yours are just gold-plated, Dave, that's all. Hardly. Um, <laughs> but if I stay away from Milwaukee teams, they might get some silver. But I don't <laughs> well, Dave. Know, I, I, I think I think I think it's just a matter of like I like I tell Rowdy a lot of times, you know, he's he's a pretty sharp guy and he puts his shoes on the same way I do. He just hasn't been around long enough to make as many mistakes and learn from them. Well, Dave, he, um, I like that. I like that. I'm getting inspired now. I feel I'm inspired over this, Dave Essler. So, Dave, uh, well, quit quit your day job. Yeah. Um. I'm not that good at betting, though, Dave. Like, Rowdy's much better than I. And uh, I don't want a, a wife on my ass about why'd you quit your job to just go. Uh... Well, she did ask me because we're going to Vegas in the end of August. And I said, honey. Really? I might have to go out there. Uh, yeah, in August. So we'll be there. I'll let you know the dates. We're going to August. Then we're going to Utah to go to a bunch of the parks like Zion and Arches. And then yeah, we're going I mean, I have to, back to I Vegas. Have, I, go, I go out there a lot, obviously, but I have to go out there sometime before the um, contests for the NFL all. Sort of yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you know the dates, man. I'll DM you. But my wife has said, well, you know, what? What are we gonna do if we hit it big out there? I'm like, let's let's mortgage our whole future. Let's take out everything, all our life savings, and put it on black. And then she goes, yeah. And then I go, knowing us, we'd land on red. And then what would happen? But Dave, uh, so it turns out we got snake eyes last night as uh, obviously Milwaukee Bucks fans, and it sounds like you bet on the Bucks as well. What do you see in this series moving forward through the eyes of a, a gambler, Dave? 
I don't know. I think it's I think it's now it's a mental thing because you know the Bucks didn't play that badly last night, and like I was talking to Rowdy, um, even before the first game because I wasn't quite sure which way to go with that, and and I I I took the Bucks in that game as well. Full disclosure, and then I heard Giannis was playing, and I was actually a little bit disappointed. I think I would have been been I would have felt better if he did not play, hmm. and then I think last night that was evident as well. I mean, you know, just just. Just look at, at what he did versus what everybody else did, and you know I think that's a question of, you know, like like Red Arback for for you old timers <laughs> used to talk about how to beat Wilt Chamberlain when he was averaging eighty points a game, and the answer was well let him get his eighty, he, he just stop everybody else. Yeah, and you know that's kind of what seemed to happen last night when. You know, Giannis got his, and nobody else got theirs. It it tends to be a lot of other people sort of sort of stand around or don't put in the effort because they don't think they have to. Now, letting Phoenix shoot fifty percent from behind the arc didn't help, and you know, but I, I honestly wonder. I would, and we'll always wonder how those games would have turned out if Giannis did not play. Yeah, Dave Essler joining us right now. Follow him on Twitter. I implore you at Dave underscore Essler, E-S-S-L-E-R. Check his workout at pregame.com as well. So, Dave, uh, what are some games you're eyeing up, my friend? Uh, what do you got on the docket for tonight, maybe this weekend? Yeah, I got a couple of games I like so far tonight. I, I like the Miami, the fish run line, um, or even the money line over the Braves at home. You know, I, I don't like Charlie Morton. He's already been hit hard twice by Miami this year, and Miami just took two or three from Los Doyas. And a lot of people don't know who Zach Thompson is, but his worst outing this season was his last against these Braves. Again, but he only gave up three. Uh, and Miami lost that game. I love to go the other way in recent rematches. You know, Thompson's already beaten Nick Pavetta and Corbin, so I'll gladly take uh, the run and a half cheap for a game with a total of only seven and a half. And game in the, in the, in the West Coast for, for you guys that stay up late, Padres, Brody. Rockies, I I think that yeah, I know, I know. I see his, I see his text, and I'm that like, man's like well, "That man's up I'm so like, late." Dude, don't, you, don't you have to get up in like 45 minutes? He's like, "Yep, yep, yep." He's just seething over some bets, you know. Um, yeah, I like the Padres and the Rockies to go over. You know, Snell made his money pitching in Tampa Bay. I think that's a that's a place where fly balls go to die. Uh, his last seven starts, his ERA is almost seven. Uh, Rockies have already seen him three times. That's that's a bad thing. Freeland's already been torched by the Padres. He rarely finishes six innings, so it'll be enter Rockies bullpen. Uh, that, I think they've blown more saves than they've actually saved, and of course, weather's never a factor in San Diego. And both teams tend to be in a better hitting posture against lefties. So those are two games I like for tonight. Love it, Dave. Uh, love it, man. Hey, I have uh, I had some uh, news I wanted to share with you, Dave. Now we've been uh, you know hoping you know, maybe we can meet up in Vegas at the end of August here when I'm out there. But I was thinking about this, Dave. You know, we want to get you up here to Madison, Wisconsin, to party for you know some college football games, the Badger games. I, a little birdie told me yesterday that something is about to almost be finalized, that we're going to be at a certain bar on Saturdays for a pregame show. If Dave Essler, with his prowess of gambling, gets a nice little uh, you know, sack of cash, or maybe Rowdy can start saving up, we'll, we'll fly up here, Dave, to drink brandy until we drop for a Badger Saturday. Uh, you, me, and Rowdy just taking over Regent Street. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. I get pretty loose left when I start that old alcohol stuff. Right? Dave, you and me both, brother. I might, I might, I might. Do we have a seven-second delay? We, Dave, you are a smart man. Yes, we do. The dump button works not once but twice before it has to reload. Wonderful, wonderful. Then, then, <laughs> then, then, count, then count me in. 
In fact, our engineer is actually in the uh, producer suite right now listening as he's uh, working on something. He's he's just shaking his head at us. He's like, you MFers, you MFers, don't, don't make me have a conniption over this dump button here. So, Dave, you're more than welcome, man. We'll start making a little honeypot for you so we can get you up here. Uh, I'm sure that wouldn't be hard. But, hey, what's going on for the golf game tonight? You getting out and about? How's it uh, looking out there in uh, Florida? Um, I'm planning on it. It looks like the rain. We had that little tropical storm go through, and fortunately, I love just far enough east of it that I don't think the golf course is underwater. So, <laughs> there's a, there's I, I did, I did, I did play well. I played in the tournament Sunday, and I actually shot one over, and we, you know, that the which didn't win, but you know that's cool. I played all right, and uh, I had 22 putts, and I'm thinking, oh, that'll be good. Somebody had 21. Are you serious? What? Dave, Rowdy and I were in a um, a golf tournament. It was you know a scramble, it was best ball whatever. And what what the winning group shoot? Yeah, they 26 were like under, twenty one or twenty two under. I thought it was like twenty six. There was something ridiculous under Dave. It was like twenty one. Yeah. I remember twenty six, but I was I'm, I was also boozing. But Dave, twenty one under. It's not even real. That's not. I don't even know what to say. Dave, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna follow along on Twitter. Uh, we're gonna circle back to you all the time on Twitter, okay? And hopefully the Milwaukee, <laughs> these Milwaukee teams. Was that, was that was that was that subtle or not? That was the the ones who get it. No, Dave. I'll just leave it at that. How's that sound? Fair enough. Dave, have a good weekend, man. Hit them long, hit them straight, and uh, good luck on the the, the putting game, okay, my friend. Okay, buddy. You guys have a good weekend you as too. well. You too. There he is, Dave Essler, our gambler of the stars, Dapper Dave. <laughs> Brewers get it done though over the Cincinnati Reds. There was a little tension. There was a little uneasy moments. Rowdy, you had tweeted it out at Razor or Rowdy underscore Razor. Adrian Hauser rocking the tightrope like he's Stevie Ray Vaughan. Man, those first few innings, it felt like, well, it pretty much was. The bases were loaded for both teams like every inning. Yeah. <laughs> and not. Uh, the game before the Brewers would load the bases, too. Was it Brad Boxberger uh, out of the bullpen loading the bases then struck out three in a row? Adrian Hauser, well, first the Brewers load the bases, right, Rowdy? They get a little scoring, and then um, they left, obviously, people on base. Well, the Reds the Reds loaded the bases in the top of the first first. And yeah, and the then the Brewers, excuse me. But Hauser does it, Rowdy, and then... And you had said um, well, how about, coming into the game that the Reds hit Hauser very well. Yeah, well, how about the Milwaukee Brewers scoring two runs in the first inning and they had just one hit and it was a check swing? Yeah. <laughs> Baseball is a weird sport, and isn't it? Not? That was the only hit in the inning. You somehow got the bases loaded and scored two runs from one check swing hit. <laughs> and it, and it, barely, it barely made it to the, to the grass. It barely got out of the dirt. We'll take it. Oof. Uh, Keston Hira, he breaks, uh, he takes the ties of the game uh, later on in, what was that, the sixth inning for Keston Hira? He ties the game with a double. That was nice to see. And then Avi Garcia homers uh, in the eighth to send it to no doubt. Uh, Josh Hader comes in. We'll, we'll talk all about this coming up, but specifically when it comes to the sticks. Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich. Isn't that mega deal? Well, it's not mega, mega. Kicks in next year. Can we – is there a way to, like, renegotiate that, do you think? Because Christian Yelich does not look like the Christian Yelich that we once knew and loved. What is going on with Yelly, dude? So he's, So the thing is, it's actually kind of funny because in 2018, the year where he won MVP, mm-hmm. he had an on-base percentage that is relatively the same as his current on-base percentage. He's at 401 right now. Now, his OPS and slugging and batting average, way down, obviously, from that season, which is, I mean, anyone watching can say, well, no crap, right? Yeah, no, no It's crap pretty Sherlock. obvious. But 
man, he <laughs> looks terrible up there. He looks bad. Like he, like he's for the most part, he's not swinging at bad pitches. He's he's taking his walks, occasionally getting hit by pitches, working decent at bats. But I swear, they put one right down the middle. He can't hit it. No, he can't no. hit worth crap. He can't hit pitches that are right there, or like um. When they're throwing like a curveball or a slider to him, and it's a complete hanger that really didn't break, and it's right down the middle, he's whiffing on it. Right. It, it's getting <laughs> hard to watch him swing the bat. Like, like thankfully he is working walks and he is getting on base because if he wasn't, I, I think Brewer fans would be even more upset. The Brewers have remained in first place despite their batters posting the NL's lowest batting average, which was 220 entering last night's action, and the most strikeouts. Yet here they are, seven games atop of the NL Central and one of the best teams in baseball. Yeah. Well, I mean, you look at it, and it's basically since the Willie Adamas trade, it's Willie Adamas and Luis Arias who are getting on base and getting hits. Yep. And then Omar Nervias has been a constant where he's been swinging the bat pretty much all season when he's been healthy. And then you have Avisel Garcia who has been pretty timely and he's, and he's, and he's been productive. Mm-hmm. He's obviously leading the team in home runs, leading the team in RBIs, but he's been a guy that's come on, come up to bat with a lot of guys on base and had a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. and he's been decent at it. Yeah. Outside decent. of that, Christian Yelich. Yeah. He's getting on base. He's not hitting the ball at all. Keston here, we've talked about his struggles, though it seems like he's starting to swing the bat a little better. He's coming around. I mean, we've talked about Jackie Bradley Jr.'s struggles. I mean, Colton Wong has now been on the I.L. three times. Lorenzo Cain has been on the I.L. twice, but the second stint has been forever. He just went to Nashville yesterday, I think. And you're talking about a lot of underwhelming play outside of Luis Arias, Willie Adamas, and Omar Nervias. It's... How the Brewers are doing it, it's like insane. Uh, the sticks, just just Yelich alone is so tough to watch right now because there's so many pitches that in years previous he would just be bashing out of the park. Now he's just straight. Done. It's tough, Rowdy. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense how you can go from a guy in 19 and or 18 and 19 basically putting those exact pitches over the fence or in the gaps for doubles, potentially triples. To a guy that's just completely whiffing on it. Uh, Brewers get the win, though, 5-3. to three. Uh, Up next, old friend Wade Miley on the mound, opposite of Eric Lauer. Same time, same place, uh, same Two teams. Lefties. Two lefties going at it, so uh, there's that. Right, speaking of baseball, Rowdy, old friend of the Milwaukee Brewers, on the mound tonight for the Cincinnati Reds. Wade Miley, lefty, going against Eric Lauer. Lefty, lefty. Got lefty and lefty violence tonight at uh, yeah, American Family Field. Yeah, two lefties. What are we thinking, man? Uh, Miley has pitched six or more innings in each of his uh, his five previous starts. He no-hit Cleveland on May 7th, and then Lauer's last two starts, he shut out the Rockies over six innings and held Pittsburgh to one run in six and one-third. And I believe the line is like pretty close to even. Uh, let's see here. Do I have it up yet? Even line? Okay. Well... How about this? Um, I read this stat, and I was like, wow. The Milwaukee Brewers, the Brewers have remained in first place, obviously. They now have seven games above the Reds in the NL Central. The Brewers have remained in first place, despite their batters posting the NL's lowest batting average, which was 220 entering Thursday, and the most strikeouts. (laughs) 
I mean, if I'm looking How? at the if, if I'm looking at this game, How? Wade Miley's probably got the edge starter. He's been more consistent, right? Mm-hmm. He's been around longer. He's thrown the ball well. You look at Eric Lauer. If they get a good Eric Lauer, this is going to be a good game. He's like a feast or famine. Exactly. When he's thrown the ball well for the Brewers, he's going like five innings, giving up like one no runs, maybe getting six, giving up one or two runs. But then you look at the the two teams, and we know that the Reds are a good hitting team. We know that the we Brewers... We also know that the Reds have the worst bullpen. Oh, is it still the worst? It, it's one of the worst. I think yeah. it's bottom three now. Nice. But yes, we know that the Reds absolutely crush when it comes to hitting, but their one kryptonite, if they have a kryptonite, is left-handed pitching, which Eric Lauer happens to be. And we know that the Milwaukee Brewers have struggled hitting the baseball for the most part, <laughs> though they have gotten better over the past month or so. Aren't they better hitting lefties than they are righties? They are better at hitting lefties, which Wade Miley is. Is a lefty and an old friend. And then we talk about the bullpens. Obviously, the Milwaukee Brewers have a top 10 bullpen now, which is nice. They've officially nice. cracked that number 10. Nice. And then we've mentioned it over and over and over for about the last two months. The Reds have one of the worst bullpens in baseball. I believe they're third to last going into yesterday. Yeah. So looking at it, I would probably line it pretty close to what it was lined. Brewers slightly favored, but I mean, it's, this should be a good game. You just need to get a good, a good Eric Lauer would go a long way for this Milwaukee Brewer team. Cause wouldn't you imagine that Josh Hader's probably down today? Yes. Because, because I mean, used, yeah, you said used to save the game. Or attempt to save the game in game one of, of that double header. header. Then he warmed up in the second game. Yeah, for to potentially go in, didn't need him. And then he came in and saved it yesterday. I mean, that's a lot. I was even surprised that I was questioning in our DM chat if they were going to use him against the Reds in that first game. I would have to imagine he's probably down in this game. Yeah. So, so you're gonna have your B. The- hopefully bullpen. the uh the Brewers bats were the worst in the NL. But did something. you so Talking okay, about tell, the game last night. Tell the folks how the Brewers scored their first run already if they didn't see Dude, it. it was wild. They were getting on base, obviously, Bases with loaded. a ton of walks, you know, a hit by pitch. And then all of a sudden you have bases loaded. And obviously, Garcia comes up there, checks swings, barely hits the ball into the grass. Like it barely boop. gets out of the dirt. Obviously, pitcher fumbles the ball. Luis Rea is safe. And they end up getting two runs ultimately that inning on an infield single. But it was hilarious on the broadcast. They were talking about how Avisel Garcia, like his average home run, he's hitting it like 110 miles an hour off the bat. Mm -hmm. And that RBI single, which it technically is, came off the bat at less than 48 miles an hour. A check swing, a little. Or how about the fact that the Brewers stole that game? And I still think the Brewers kind of stole that game last night. Well, the Reds usually own Adrian Hauser, who pitched. Yeah, last the night. Reds, the Reds as a team were hitting nearly 400 against Adrian Hauser and like Jesse Winker. Oh, like he's been third, owning the Brewers. Yeah, a third of his at bats against Hauser were home runs. Well, he's been slumping, and you can tell because he continued to slump. But how about the Reds' bats in general? Heading into that game, they were a major league best with bases loaded, batting 368. Wow. 368 as a team with bases loaded and this year. In the first inning, Hauser loaded them. In the first two innings combined, they were 0 for 6. Yeah, because the bases were loaded. How many times did the Reds load the bases? Three times? Three times. 0 for 6. They were 0 for 6 in the through first, this, for, the for the first two, two times that they had bases loaded. And Brewers also were loading bases too. But we know that the Brewers struggle with hitting with runners in scoring position. 
Yeah, they're and just in general. Yeah, but three of ten, eight runners left on base. It was nice to see the Brewers finally steal a game. But you're sitting there in the fifth inning when you had Jake Cousins, and Kirk Cousins, cousin Jake Cousins. All of a sudden, well, we'll take a step back. Adrian Hauser was still on the mound, and Jace Peterson has an error at second base, mm-hmm. allows a guy to get on first. Then, obviously, I believe Hauser walks a batter first and second. Now you bring on uh, Jake Cousins. Two wild pitches. The first one was terrible. It was like a slider that went like 58 feet. That's just close your eyes and pray that Narvaez can block it. But the second one, it just shows where I think if Manny Pena was back there, the good defensive catcher, uh, Manny Pineapple. it's a ball that's blocked. But yes, then the second one goes in. Now two runs score on a wild pitch, and then they get a base hit. Brings in the third run, and now they're down 3-2, to two, and you're starting to rip your hair out going, come on. Jeez, mister. Jeez, mister. But then they, they turned it around, scrape across, across a run, make it 3-3, three, three, and then Avisel Garcia goes yard 5-3. It's kind of like the thing with the Reds, though, right? Yeah. If you can make it where it's like a close game or you're tied like sixth inning plus, you feel decent. You feel like you're never out of the game because of how bad that bullpen is. So, Rowdy, speaking of the bullpen, now I just got a message, more evidence that everyone listens. Kirk Cousins sent this, uh, an audio message to me. It sounds just like this. You like that? You like that? Uh, about his cousin, Jake Cousins. I kid you not, they are cousins. Kirk Cousins literally just sent me this. You like that? You like that? I didn't care for the wild pitch from your cousin, Kirk, but Jake Cousins notched his first major league win last night, made six scoreless appearances with the crew. Opponents are 0 for 21 with three walks and 12 strikeouts. Well, that Jake was Cousins. the thing. So, Kirk? You like I don't mind it. Jake Cousins looked good again besides those two pitches that he basically bounced in the dirt. Yeah. Outside of those two wild pitches, and one of them, yes, I think a better catcher blocks it, he looked good again. Yeah, so Kirk, to answer your question, I do like that. And Your cousin is doing pretty well. I think you'd have to say that when you watch the back end of the bullpen with Devin Williams in the eighth and then Josh Hader coming in in the ninth, Devin Williams looked really good. He looked like he was back to the Devin Williams of last year. And then Josh Hader right back. I have to correct myself. Jay Cousins did not get the win. My apologies. It would be Devin uh, Devin Williams got the win. Devin Williams, like I said, he looked like the old Devin Williams from last year. His stuff looked phenomenal last night. And then Josh Hader right back on the horse after blowing a save in the first game of the doubleheader against the New York Mets. Josh Hader comes in, lockdown. But I don't think we expected anything different, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah. He already blew it, uh, what, in that doubleheader before. So I didn't expect him to blow it again. He's good for 20 more saves in a row. Yeah. He'll be fine for a while. Um. I was, I was, it was nice to see Brent Suter kind of bounce back a little bit, by the way, Rowdy. I know he was used in a situation where um, he should have rightfully been used, as opposed to in that other doubleheader game where he uh, already had a runner on second because of extra innings and he immediately pooped on his leg. So it was nice to see kind of Suter bounce back a little bit. Go plant a tree, Suter. I'll plant a tree in your honor today, just for you. But yeah, so uh, Brewers, seven games now, top of the NL Central. Wow. And they can really create some distance, especially with six games, the next six games against Cincinnati, three more before the all-star break, three more the weekend after the all-star break. And if the Cubs and the, and the Cardinals continue to play bad baseball and continue to lose games, which to be completely honest with how bad that, they stink. that uh, St. Louis 
pitching is and how beat up it was, I wouldn't really expect anything to really turn around unless they just start mashing the ball. And with the inconsistency that is the Chicago Cubs offense, same thing with them. So I almost imagine that those two teams kind of continue to play about 500-ish ball. Mm -hmm. And then it's just coming down to Cincinnati and the Milwaukee Brewers where we know the Brewers have a really good starting five. We know that the Brewers have a solid bullpen these days. And they're looking like they're getting better at hitting the baseball. But on the flip side, you have the Reds, who we know are going to mash the baseball. We know the Reds are going to get healthier because Mike Moustakis, they're expecting to get Ooh, back. The moose. He's only going to you, continue to add to that lineup. And then Nick Senzel, who's their starting shortstop, they think they're going to get him back by the end of July. So that'll just pad their offense. But you can't unsee that bullpen. No. The bullpen is going to be the thing that just kills them. That's going to be backbreaker. And if the Brewers can win the majority of these next six games, then look out, man. They're just going to continue to put ground behind Buddy, them in the rest gonna, of the Central. They're going to push it to the limit, dude. So you know when Scooby-Doo, I don't know if you watched Scooby-Doo growing up, Rowdy. I, I did. But Scooby-Doo, you know, they always on their little capers. And then at the end uh, of the episode, it's like the monster and they got him tied down on the chair. Like, let's see who you really are. And they pull the, the mask off, and it's like, old man Jenkins, oh, we got you. It's like the big surprise. I think if you were to sit down Drew Holiday and said, ah, let's see who you truly are, and you pulled off the Drew Holiday mask, it would be Eric Bledsoe, former Milwaukee Bucks sitting there, who would just flame out in the playoffs every year, and you'd be like, oh, it's I knew it couldn't be Drew Holiday. It's Eric Bledsoe. Rowdy, you have some alarming yeah, stats. Yeah, and that's exactly where these statistics are going. So, obviously, they acquired Drew Holiday because he's an upgrade from Eric Bledsoe. He's a better defender. He was the better distributor and the better shooter out of the three. Mm -hmm. And if you look at his regular season numbers, that's exactly what he was. He shot the three pretty well. He was great at distributing the basketball, and he played extremely good defense. He was first-team all-defense. Well, the problem with Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs was all of a sudden he became a short, stocky guard that struggled from shooting the three and basically wouldn't get to the rack at, at times, struggled at scoring the basketball just in general and playing defense because of his size. Yeah. Well, Holiday is the longer, lankier guard. He's a guy that has been proven to be a better shooter, all defense, better defender. Olympia, just, he's an Olympian. Just overall an upgrade from Eric Bledsoe. Yep. That's why you got him, right? Well, here are Eric Bledsoe versus Drew Holiday's playoff shooting splits. Before you before you read them, I feel like it's to quote Scooby Doo again. It's going to be a rut row. It might be, <laughs> but yes, these are Eric Bledsoe and Drew Holiday's playoff shooting splits in their Bucks careers. Now, granted, there's a bigger sample size for Eric Bledsoe than there is Drew Holiday, but this is pretty alarming. Mm -hmm. Eric Bledsoe's field goal percentage: forty-one point one percent. Drew Holiday's Field goal percentage, 41.1%. Wait, the, the same? exact same field goal oh, percentage. Three-point shooting percentage. Eric Bledsoe, 25.4%. <laughs> Drew Holiday, 28.9%. Uh, so slightly better. Uh, that's, that's still not good. And then Eric Bledsoe, free throw percentage, 73.2%. Drew Holiday, 67.3%. So slightly worse. But those numbers, that is just in general, very, very similar. I'm going to need some of those shaggy Scooby snacks that are laced with something to get through this segment. Jesus Christ on a cracker, Rowdy. So basically, it's Eric Bledsoe. He's basically played 
to about the same level as Eric Bledsoe had in his Bucks playoff career. And there's a reason why the Bucks no longer have Eric Bledsoe and got Drew Holiday, isn't that? Is that to get rid of stuff like that, yes? Correct. To find a bigger, lankier guard that could still shoot the ball at a higher clip than Bledsoe. Now, I will say this. He does play better defense than Eric Bledsoe has. So that's one that obviously a shooting percentage isn't going to uh, show. But yeah, he hasn't shot the ball like he did in the regular season. He hasn't shot in the ball like he's supposed to. All right, so there you go. There's some stats that are big-time rut-row. Comments now from Giannis Adinokounmpo. As the Bucks are in an 0-2 hole in the NBA Finals, here is the Greek freak saying, hey, We've seen this before. We've come back from this before. We know what the deal is. You know, it's simple as that. We got to go back home and, you know, do our job. They did their job. We got to do our job. We've been here before and uh, we're able to, you know, get the job done. Hopefully we can put ourselves in a position. We can believe in one another. We can play together. We can have fun. We can compete. We can dive on the floor. We can make shots, put ourselves in a position to win the game. I mean, Giannis is basically describing everything he's doing. I don't know what everyone else is doing. Giannis is doing all the stuff he just described. Everyone else is, I guess, standing around watching him or uh, doing their best Eric Bledsoe impersonation. Here's more from Giannis uh, talking about how they just had to be better. There's a lot of things that we've got to improve. Rebounding the ball. We can play better. We can definitely play better. We can make make more shots. Getting good looks. But yeah, we're going towards the right direction. Now, I don't know if we're going to win the game, the next game or the game after that. But I know that we're going to compete. We're going to watch what we did good in the tape and hopefully we can carry over to game three. And do it even better. All right, Giannis talked about the first. It was rebounding, right? The Bucks. There was a series uh, early on in the fourth quarter. The Bucks had cut it to like six or seven deficit, and the Suns went for a three, bricked it, got an easy offensive rebound. Shot another three, bricked it, got another easy offensive rebound, kicked it out to the corner. It's either the Booker, it's probably Booker or CP3, and he just drains it. And then all of a sudden it was went from a six point affair to boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, Bucks are down eleven again in the in the fourth. Well, there were so many times up and down the court where the Bucks would be playing on that nice little roll once they, what were they down, about 15? Yeah. And they got it to like 5-6. Mm-hmm. But they continued to get the game down to 5-6-8-9, and they could never pull any closer than that. Could never and grab it, a freaking rebound. And it, all of a sudden it was like, kind of like how you explained, it was like they would need a big defensive stop and they could never get it. And it was like they, one time it was like they played good defense for like 23 out of the 24 <laughs> seconds. And then, and then they still get a DeAndre Ayton dunk. Yeah. Here's Giannis on how they're struggling to rebound when they go to that uh, small lineup late. Yeah, we've got to do a better job. We've got to do a better job in the 50-50 balls. Was, uh, I think there was one position that we gave them three open threes. Um, was able to uh, you know get the rebound. I think we were like down six or something. It was a big shot. We just got to do a better job rebounding the ball. And it's tough going small and like switching out. But uh, we're going to hopefully move forward. We're going to do a better job with that. So moving forward, Giannis... Talking about the home crowd at the Pfizer Forum for Game 3, Game 4. It's always good to play play at home in front of your fans. But try not to think about that right now. Just try to think about what we have to do to put ourselves in a position to win. What I got to do, what the team got to do. We got to watch the clip. We got we to... I think we took a step towards the right direction, but we got to keep getting better in order for us to uh, put ourselves in a position to win this series. Uh, but we're going to figure it out. All right, something that uh, I think we all can figure out easily, and Rowdy already had the stats about Drew Holiday. Uh, he's doing his best Eric Bledsoe impersonation. Here's Drew Hall- or Drew Holiday yeah, talking about they just got to be better offensively. Uh, I think we had a lot of open shots um, that we didn't make. I know me personally, there's a couple layups there that I usually make that kind of rimmed in and out. Had some good looks, but Giannis had a great game. Getting to the basket, penetrating. I feel like we did a pretty good job of penetrating, making plays for other people, but just got to do a little bit better. I've never seen a professional basketball player miss so many layups than Drew Holiday. 
Yeah, Drew Holiday, it's just it's the same thing for him and Middleton. They had open shots, they had layups. It's just you got to make them. Like there's nothing there's nothing else to be said. Yeah. Make your shots. Cuz it's not like we're watching Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday be completely locked down by a defender. No, because like, like, they can attack. For, and the they most, can... for the most opportunities, it's the same that they've had in the games against the Hawks. It's the same looks that they had against the Nets. It's the same looks that they had against the Heat. It's some of the same looks that they get in the regular season. They just, for some reason, when the lights continue to shine bright, for the most part, both of these guys have shriveled up. I don't want to hear about Chris Middleton's one game anymore. <laughs> that's, that's over that's, and done that's with. That's in the past. You're in the NBA Finals now. Here is Chris Middleton on facing another 0-2 deficit coming home to the Pfizer on Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, um, they took, a, took care of their home court. we got to find a way to do the same. Um, it starts with the first one at home, though. Um, we got to come out, be prepared, uh, be ready for a dogfight. I mean, um, we have been in this hole before. It's not going to be easy, but we got to find a way to do it. And real quick, we uh, got comments from Mike Budenholzer. Tell talking booty is about the big three need to be better on offense. Hey, well, hang on. The big three need to be better on offense, or how about two of the big three need to be better on offense? Let's hear from Budenholzer. You know, you always give credit to the defense. You know, those guys, you know, do a good job. And there's probably a few looks that, you know, I think that they got to go in. You know, when you're playing against a good defensive team, you get a good, clean one. Um, Drew was getting to the paint a lot. I liked his aggressiveness. So, you know, I think we, we need all three of those guys. And, um, you know, I think they just keep working. They'll come good. <sighs> All right, more from Booty and Holder real quick before we get to the Razor's Edge here. Booty talks about being ready for Game Three. We're going home, you know. It's it's we're we're excited about our crowd. We're excited about being there, and we got to go play our game. Drew's got to play his game. He knows how to play. Um, he and I will talk, but it'll be more just keep being aggressive. And you know, our spacing I think was better tonight. I think his opportunities were better. I think we just got to keep doing that going into Game Three. And I know you hate the the term. This is a must-win game, especially in the playoffs or even the NBA Finals. But of course, it's a must win. If you're ever going to say, I, I hate giving away games too because you play to win every single game. Yeah. But, and I would even say that in the regular season. Same. But, uh, I mean, I mean, have the Mamba mentality. Like, you want to beat everyone every day. This is like the most must win game, right? The first game at the Pfizer where you have to protect home court, you're already down two to nothing. Like, yep. this is the most must win because I don't think they win a game in this series if they lose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I if hear- they lose game three, do you really anticipate they're going to turn it around for game four? No. We got a wild boy on right now. Dan from Best Fight Picks. Dan, what's up, my brother? How you doing, man? Oh, well, I, you know, I've been going through the emotions today. You know, uh, the Bucks lost. But now that we got you on, Dan, I am like, uh, hope springs eternal, Dan. I'm feeling good. I'm beaming ear to ear. Got UFC 264. Got you on. If it would be any better, dude, it'd be a stealing, you know? You know what's funny is I'm just glad you haven't given me any um... – any stuff about uh, the Hawks losing to the Bucks? Because you know, for those listening, I am in Atlanta, Georgia, so I know the heartbreak that you're feeling right now, my friend. And uh, I'm grateful you haven't, uh, you know, poked any fun at me yet. Well, Dan, here's the thing: I, I I'm going to be completely. I'm always honest. I kind of forgot that you're in the ATL, so I wasn't even. <laughs> it was even on my frontal lobe. But now that you're bringing it up, how was that? I, where, where does the NBA rank in the hierarchy for you for uh, sports, professional sports? I mean, look, the NBA playoffs are just fantastic to watch and for me i'm just so loyal to my hometown man i'll always root for all atlanta teams so to see our team get that far no one even gave us a chance to get anywhere near the semifinals. so 
I thought we put on a good fight against uh, the Bucks, and props to y'all. Yeah, what was the uh, the vibe like as ATL as a whole, like the city was? This? Was it like obviously there's some sadness, but what was the vibe like? I mean, we're just obviously we're sad, but we're just proud, man. Like, cause like I said, we didn't have a single all star. Everyone counted us out, and to get to the point that we got to speaks volumes. With with an interim head coach, now he's our he's our head coach officially. So. Let's see what happens next year. Love it, man. All right, Dan, so uh, something else that I love is the trash-talking of Conor McGregor. I got to pick your brain on this, dude. I mean, that's why you're on, because you're the best of the best at it. Uh, follow Dan at Best Fight Picks on Twitter, uh, bestfightpicks.com as well. Dan, did I see that uh, Poirier was outing McGregor for being in his wife's DMs? Did I, did I see and hear that correctly? Uh, I mean, listen, man. McGregor, <laughs> when he used to tr- talk trash, it used to be the most – memorable and quotable stuff that you've ever heard and it was so intriguing to listen to him but and i'm a huge fan of trash talk you you guys know that you guys know (laughs) that i love when people get in their opponent's head and and just the trash talk is what makes it so fun but i gotta be honest with you man like i'm not mr goody two shoes or anything but i was absolutely disgusted and repulsed by the trash talk of McGregor this week. It seems forced. It seems canned. And uh, it just does not seem like the same McGregor that we once knew and loved. Um, seems like a shell of the man he used to be. Well, it also, it goes a long way because you got to back it up. And for the most part, Conor McGregor has left a lot more to be desired, especially from UFC fans since basically like 2016. Yeah, really well said, man. I mean, if you wanna, if you really wanna get down to the nitty gritty, so in 2016, that's when Conor McGregor won the champ champ status. For those that don't know what that means, he had the featherweight belt, the 145 pound belt, and the 155 pound belt. He was the first simultaneous champ champ in UFC history. Now, BJ Penn and Randy Couture also had two belts, but never at the same time. Now, you got to give a shout out to Henry Cejudo because he was the first to defend two belts at the same time. But Conor McGregor was the first to have two belts at the same time since 2016. After he accomplished that fantastic feat, he's gone one in three, and he's been finished in three of those losses. And I'm including Floyd Mayweather. Listen, those were head strikes. Floyd Mayweather isn't known for his one-punch knockout power. He was out there rocking Connor. One in three in the in the last four since 2016, whereas Poirier is seven and one since 2016. So it seems to me like their careers are going in opposite directions. So yeah, and you got to factor in that Connor McGregor's only win was a guy that was spoon-fed to him in Donald Cerrone, whose career is pretty much over. Yeah, listen, Donald Cerrone is also a legend. He's got the most, I think, wins and fights in UFC history, but the bottom line is he's in the midst of a six-fight losing streak. And, yeah, that's the only win Connor's had since 2016, and it was like a 40-second win, so that doesn't really tell us anything. Hey, Dan, let me ask you, man. So I was also, when I was you know watching the presser and reading up about it, so Connor McGregor, said it was a fluke win when Dustin Poirier beat him last? I mean, like, was it truly a fluke win? No, at this point, you can't call it a fluke win anymore. I mean, Dustin Poirier's got the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history. He's one of the hardest hitters. um, He's been there for such a long time. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Dustin Poirier that beat Max Holloway, the output king, over a five-round duration. We're talking about a guy in Dustin Poirier that went out there and beat Justin Gaethje and actually overcame the big leg kicks, which is something Connor couldn't do. So it absolutely was not a fluke. And, I mean, when I, when I, when I mentioned that Dustin Poirier has got the most knockouts in, in UFC history, now we got a question, is the chin of McGregor diminishing? Because you got a guy in Habib Nurmagomedov who's arguably the lightweight GOAT, but Habib was never known for his one-punch knockout power. Habib was always known for his wrestling. Habib was out there dropping Connor with one punch so absolutely not a fluke 
See, I, I think with the, the McGregor stuff is we all know how much how great of a striker he is on his feet. And when he's sitting there saying it's a fluke, he literally let Dustin Poirier chop his legs out from under him all first round while he did damage to Dustin Poirier for sure. Second round, you could tell that he was wearing that damage because he didn't check any of those leg kicks. And then once those legs were chopped out, he was a sitting duck. Yeah, and in addition to that, I mean, anytime you've seen McGregor get to the seven-minute mark of a fight, he's been a sitting duck. So we can we can sit here and talk about the leg kicks, which they were. They definitely played a factor, don't get me wrong. But they weren't the only factor because the finishing sequence was, you know, a check right hook followed by punches and bunches. And, you know, I like to say, do you remember when Santiago Ponzinibbio knocked out Gunnar Nelson and everybody was like, oh, it was an eye poke. And I'm always like, well, you can't eye poke a chin. Well, here I'm going to say you can't calf kick a chin, you know? So, <laughs> you know, the, the, the calf kicks were definitely a factor, but they weren't the only factor. I, I want your opinion on this because I, I feel like some people have had it, but it's not like a notorious take, I guess, talking about Conor McGregor. I almost feel like he got too built for fighting, if for his style, if that makes sense. Like if he would have sat around 155 and not gotten more uh, weight room strong, I feel like he's so much better, so much lean, so much more uh, gas in the tank. But once he went up to 170 and was fighting up there, I feel like you've seen him gas out so much faster. Yeah, interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. But yeah, you might be honest something because... You know, the the fact of the matter is we never did see him gas out at 145 pounds, the original weight class he fought at. Now, granted, we also rarely saw him go past the seven-minute mark. So uh, I'm curious to see what would have happened in that scenario. But, um, yeah, I mean, he might be on to something with that. Um, I remember Just his as a fan, saying, it, it seemed like when he was at 145, he was absolutely electric. And when he was at 150, he was still obviously head and shoulders better than almost everybody. Yeah, the only thing is he hasn't won at 155 since 2016 against Eddie Alvarez. So, yeah. Dan, I'm, I'm looking at your Twitter account, at Best Fight Picks. I implore everyone to go follow Dan. It's a great follow. And I was looking at your Half the Battle podcast here. Um, I see some people reacting. You were kind of shaking a lot of people out of their trance of being in a believer of Conor McGregor because the old Conor is not definitely back. Like, uh, have we seen <laughs> have we seen the end of a Titan? In my opinion, absolutely. Um, but listen... I implore everybody to trust their gut. You know, no, I don't have an 100% hit rate. And Conor McGregor in the early going, like I said, those first seven minutes, he can knock anybody out. So if he comes out here, he knocks out Conor, he knocks out Dustin Poirier in the first seven minutes. Then everything I said goes out the window. So at the end of the day, you got to trust your gut. But what I truly believe is that absolutely, he's seen better days. I mean, guys, he's one in three since 2016. He's yeah. been finishing all three of those losses. Like, and. Like I, like I said at the beginning of the show, when he used to open his mouth, like it used to be the most quotable and memorable stuff you've ever heard. Like For this sure. guy was intriguing. Like if he talks, you listen. Now he talks and like I'm disgusted. And I'm and I'm like, <laughs> I love trash talk, man. Like I, I love getting in opponents' heads and all that stuff. And when I hear him talk now, I'm like, man, what is this? Would you uh would what would you like more? Conor McGregor is his trash talk or his uh, proper thirteen whiskey? Uh, I'll be honest, I ain't tried that, that trash. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't tried to do that. Uh, Dan from Best Fight Picks joining us. So, Dan, also I saw an interesting article uh, a couple hours, or last night actually, and uh, we know him from his time in you know football, and then there's also the domestic abuse stuff following him. He's not, he's not a savory individual. He's kind of a scumbag. No, he is a scumbag. Greg Hardy. 
What, what? I mean, Greg Hardy on this card, right? What is the verdict on Greg Hardy? Are we going to be done with this guy after UFC 264? Or are we still to be subjected to Greg Hardy, who thinks he's the greatest guy to ever walk this earth, but he truly is not? I don't know. It's a tough question, man, because he's definitely a talented athlete. He's a big guy. He's athletic. Um, he's getting better. But, man, that last fight against Tybura definitely showed a lot of weaknesses. But, uh, you know, on the flip side, Tybura's a top 10 guy. And it also ended on the mat somewhere that Tuivasa has never taken a fight. Tuivasa is uh, Greg Hardy's opponent. Tuivasa has never taken a fight to the mat. But I think Tuivasa is better standing than Greg Hardy. So I think this might actually be the first time you see uh, Greg Hardy get dropped and get knocked out. Yeah. Uh, what are some other picks that there are fights that you're looking at, Dan? You're like really eyeing up like this. This is the one that I have to see. Well, listen. I mean, besides McGregor as- and Poirier. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as far as have to see and have to bet, those are two different two okay, different let's, questions let's altogether. Let's but do let's do it. Let's do you personally have to see, and then one you have to bet. How about that? You got it. So I have to see is this welterweight fight between Michelle Pereira and Nico Price. I mean, yes. you're talking about two two wild men. You're talking about two finishers, two electric fighters, and. When you talk about a guy like Nico Price, his finishes are so spectacular that it's easy to call them flukes. Like, you remember when he knocked out Randy Brown off his back, and it's easy to be like, oh, that'll never happen again. Then he does it to James Vick. Then he knocks out Tim Means. He's knocked out Alex Morano. He's knocked out Alan Juban. So at this point, you can't call Nico Price's finishes flukes. And even in some of the fights he's lost, like, I remember when I bet on Jeff Neal against him, and Nico Price gave me a sweat, man. He was out there dropping Jeff Neal. And then on the other side, you got a guy in Michelle Pereira who's out here doing backflips who's out here doing the capoeira moves he's he he's a he's a lunatic man so i think that that fight is gonna be absolute bonkers yeah the headline for that fight should be there will be blood <laughs> <laughs> yeah well said man hey dan what's one that uh, is a must bet for you what's one you're like yeah let's make some coin on this baby well firstly if if mcgregor's fan base is still there and you know i can get dog money on dustin for you i'm in but there's another spot that you know that a lot of people are overlooking and listen i could be way off on this but i think that irena aldana versus yana kunitskaya fight is a 50 50 fight so i'm gonna go with the dog yana kunitskaya listen with irena aldana she's a decent striker in terms of offensively speaking however she gets hit six times per minute we have a nine fight sample size that says she gets hit six times per minute that means that she's a walking punching bag and there's zero threat of a takedown uh, so I got Yana Kunitskaya dog money there. I love it. Daniel, I mean, was it UFC 263? Did I see your tweet get uh, thrown up on the on the broadcast there? Was that was that 263? I saw your I saw um, your Twitter all thrown over the UFC uh, broadcast. Yeah, I mean, they've been I've been lucky, man. Thanks to the UFC and ESPN, they've been throwing my tweets on there regularly. So I'm sure 263 and some of the other events has been pretty cool. Man, I don't know why. Like I, it's not like I'm doing anything special. I'm just tweeting and then I see it on the screen. Dan, don't, I mean, I know you're, you're you're a humble guy. I get it. But, yeah, you're doing a lot of special stuff, man. Tell the fine <laughs> folks if they want to consume all your stuff, how they can do so, man, because it's some good stuff. Uh, well, firstly, thank you all so much for having me. Uh, my podcast is called Half the Battle. So you all just search for Half the Battle anywhere podcasts are found. And on Twitter, I'm at Best Fight Picks. I love it, Dan. And uh, we um... – we had another gambler on earlier, uh, more you know, baseball focused and uh, NBA focused, and we uh, extended him the invitation to come up here because I think we're going to be out for Badger Saturdays tailgating, partying our asses off. So if you ever get an opportunity, Dan, we're going to start growing a nice little honeypot here. Maybe we'll try and fly you up for a Badger tailgate. We'll show you around the city, and then we'll show you how Wisconsinites truly drink, my friend. 
Oh, man, that sounds like a plan to me. And if, <laughs> if we can time it around the time the Brewers are playing the Braves, that's that'd be even funner. Uh, so, Dan, what's up? Before I let you go, what what you doing for the fight? What you do? You got big plans? You going somewhere? Or you just staying? Yeah, are you heading to the theaters? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny about that? Um, so I saw that they were showing this in theaters, yeah. and then I saw that I saw it's like fifty bucks per person. So, like, I, I think I'm going to. Uh, I'm actually. I'll tell you the name of the spot I'm going to. Uh, it's called Red Pepper Taqueria. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna go with some friends, you know, meet up with some people and enjoy some tacos and some Dustin Poirier Conor McGregor violence. I love it, man. Dan, are you going to use the uh, Dustin Poirier sauce on any of your tacos? <laughs> you know, what's funny is I actually ordered three bottles of it, and man, it's. So it's it's a nice vinegar based uh, hot sauce. I mean, it's kind of like a you know like a Tabasco. Yeah. goes nice with the eggs. And, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. So you'll order the hot sauce, but you won't try the trash. So there's proper thirteen, the whiskey from Conor McGregor. We I know how you feel in McGregor now, Dan. It's very obvious. <laughs> I mean, man. Um, Give me some makers, Mark, instead. There you go, buddy. We'll we'll drink somebody to get up to Madison for a Badger tailgate. Hey, Dan, have a great weekend. Have fun at Red Pepper. I see the reviews are pretty damn good for it. So enjoy the fights. We'll be following along at Best Fight Picks. Love your stuff, and thanks for your time, brother. Hey, thank you guys so much. Look forward to speaking soon. There he is, Dan. Best Fight Picks. Good stuff. Love that I've guy. never had the proper whiskey either. I've actually heard from some people that it's actually pretty decent. I've I've had mixed I've heard mixed reviews. 